and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos, and today I have a very special guest, a friend of mine, uh, now a, a long-term friend now, and uh, he has many nicknames, many names. Uh, he goes by the Juggernaut of Jorn, the, uh, the Gangster of Grubel Force, the, uh, the Debathun Daddy, but, uh, but people who know him well know him as George Money Mayor. Hey, George, how are you? I'm doing great, JT. How are you? Yeah, no complaints, man. Just living it up here. I'm, I'm actually down in sunny South Florida. I know you're in wintry Philadelphia. Slightly colder here than it is in Florida, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it started off around 65. It's around 80 degrees right now. So yeah, must um, be nice. Frigid. Frigid is how I would describe it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. Uh, we have a great topic. But before we get into that, let's get into our customary wrist check. So George, what are you wearing on the wrist? I'm very interested, actually. I am wearing a two-tone GMT Master 2 root beer. Okay. All right. You went with the with an old, reliable piece. I, I remember when you got that watch a few years ago. That's a nice one. I was hoping you would have some sort of insane genre or debutune or something, because I know you have a great, awesome uh, collection. But uh, but that's a great watch as well. I've had I've had my experiences with that watch, and 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 I love it. So uh, yeah, you know, I'm not a, a, a two tone guy really, and mm-hmm. um, you know, but this this one just works. I think that they did the bezel to perfection, and um, it's more of a uh, you know, I would go as far as saying uh, more of an understated two-tone watch. I mean, you know, typically rose gold in any sort with Rolex is super flashy. Um, but, you know, this one's a little bit more under the under the radar as far as gold is concerned. So, yeah, I would agree totally. Um, I, I tend to love, well, I love two-tone. Um, I've had two-tone subs and two-tone yellow GMTs. Um, I do love that watch. And, uh, and, I'm thinking about, I have to add a a Rolex back to my collection. I don't have one right now. So that is in the running. So maybe I'll, I'll copy George Mayer, which is uh, not a bad thing these days. So, uh, well, it's funny actually. So I'm also wearing a GMT. Um, I I wanted to wear a very special watch that I just purchased for this podcast. Well, I didn't purchase the watch for this podcast, but I had purchased it and I wanted to wear it for this podcast because it's a Moser, but unfortunately it needs a little bit of service. I just bought it and it uh, looks like it needs to go back to the factory. So luckily we have uh, they, uh, they're accommodating. I just sent it back out today. So hopefully I'll get that service under warranty and it'll be back on my wrist. And maybe the next podcast we have together, um, I'll be able to wear that for my wrist check. But, uh, today I'm wearing a GMT as well. It's, uh, I guess, it's, I guess you would call it my favorite watch. It's the one that's, I guess it's probably been in the, in the collection for longer than any other watch. And that's my, uh, Panerai 233, nice. 44 millimeter, uh, Eight-day in-house movement, GMT, AM, PM indicator, date. It's, uh, it's a great watch, great Florida watch. I have it on a white rubber strap. And, uh, and yeah, every time I put this watch on, I, I, I'm in love with it. I, I still haven't found the point where I put it on, and I'm like, all right, it's time to trade it. So It's very uh, Miami on the white rubber strap. Yeah, well, you know what's funny? I bought this white rubber strap in Manhattan because they didn't have the uh, – I wanted to replace my orange strap that was getting a bit ratty. And they didn't have it in stock. So my wife was with me. She said, why don't you put on a white strap? And I thought it it wouldn't look great. And I put it on there and I, I, I realized it's fantastic. And I should just listen to her when it comes if to anybody fashion. can pull it off. It's you. Well, much appreciated, George. But uh, all right, great. So we got the, uh, the pleasantries out of the way. So today's podcast is going to be an interesting one. Um, if you haven't noticed the news over the last few months, uh, you should probably check it out. Just go ahead and Google Watchbox, and you'll see that we're doing some big things in the 
in the in the world of watches in the world of business and and I thought it would be a good this is a good time for us to to uh, put it to record an oral history of Watchbox because it is an interesting story. George and I both have uh, different had different paths to get here, but you know now we're we're working together and and uh, a bit of a different history. But it's it's an interesting uh, topic. So the news I'm talking about is is a, uh, a capital raise that that we that our CEO put together, and that's uh, he raised about 165 million dollars at a near billion dollar valuation, which still blows my mind, George. It's I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I remember when you know, when we were doing less than $10 million in sales with a little small company called Watch You Want down here out of Fort Lauderdale. So um, it, to, to be part of a company that has a nearly billion dollar valuation and, and to be part of that, and I'd say you more than me in terms of the sales, we could talk about that, but uh, it, it is pretty amazing. So so hopefully that 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 keyed up and piqued your, your interest if you're listening. And uh, so let's get started. So George, um, why don't we start off because, you know, the history of Watch You Want doesn't start with me, but it's it, it, I can basically detail it. And I know this the history of Godberg's doesn't start with you, but you can certainly detail it. So mm-hmm. let's start with your history um, in the watch world and with Godberg's, and and uh, let's get it started. Sure. So I started in 2007, and that's back when we were Godberg at Boyd's. So Boyd's is like the big department store um, in in uh, Philly. You know the the I guess the Barney's equivalent or something, you know, uh, like that, where, you know, they have, um, you know, used to be suits and, and, uh, fine clothing. Um, and you know, now they're, they're focusing on, on, uh, you know, not as much suits, but, uh, so we were in there, you walk in and, um, you know, that's when we carried 55 brands, I think it was at that time. And, um, you know, that's back when, you know, BRM was still around and Weiler and, and brands like that. And then we, of course, carried all the, the Richemont brands, Swatch Group brands. Uh, and then um, that's when, back when it was actually a similar dynamic, uh, market dynamic um, that it is now in that people were paying um, some uh, premiums for, for watches on the secondary market. That was back when, you know, I remember a, a 5712 Steel was uh, 26.6 retail and people were, uh, you know, paying on the secondary market over 40. And I thought it was the most crazy thing ever. You know, I was new to the watch game and I was like, what do you mean? Like people are paying premiums for, for watches. And, uh, then 2008 hit and, you know, we were begging for people to buy watches at huge discounts, you know, I mean, and it, then the watch industry really took a big hit and I'm happy I got into the industry when I did, because I saw, when things were crazy and then I saw when things were really bad and I realized that this is a cyclical industry like anything else. And now, um, obviously the, the, the watch market's never been hotter. And, um, uh, I, I do, I do believe it's going to continue to run for a while. Um, given that, um, there's just no inventory anywhere, but, um, so, uh, in terms of our progression, we then opened up a, uh, we opened up a Rolex boutique in the Comcast center, um, in Philadelphia, uh, in 2008, like, right. I think it was the day that, that Lehman brothers went under. So to give okay. you an idea of like, so we, we fully stocked Rolex boutique, standalone boutique, fully stocked with anything you could imagine. And we were selling one or two watches a month, you know, oh my um, Lord. 
and uh, to give you an idea of where things were. So now, you know, there, there are dummy watches in, at Rolex retailers uh, because there's no supply. And at that time, you could have bought whatever you wanted at, uh, at a discount. Yeah, at, at, at retail. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, potentially at that time. <laughs> Um, And then uh, fast forward, we moved to 1521 Walnut Street. um, And uh, um, that's uh, when we eventually acquired uh, uh, What You Want and partnered up with with you guys. But uh, that's where we really started getting into pre-owned. And we had a small little office in in the back that you worked out of when you came up and 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 learned learned our business. And, um, you know, no windows. Uh, we, we were setting uh, mouse traps, um, you know, and uh, uh, lighting that would give you a headache. I mean, it was not not very uh, uh, not a glamorous setup at all. But that's where it all began on the pre-owned side. And um, you know, we were fortunate to carry a lot of brands new, and you guys were all pre-owned down in down in uh, Miami. And mm-hmm. um, you know, we we found out that your business was for sale, and we were you know one of the the few people that were, were interested in acquiring the business and we, we did we bought you guys and and partnered up with you guys and that's when watchbox started to take form as we started to get bigger in, in the pre-owned space so yeah so what what year did you guys move to 1521 good question i was just trying to think uh, um about that uh, i'm not sure exactly when uh, okay but um so i know that well let's go so i'll pick it up here right so um I started with Watch You Want um, in 2013, basically by ha- happenstance. And, and we'll, we got to circle back to find out how you got involved in the watch world too. But I'll, I'll give you, I guess, my origin story, and then we'll circle back and you'll give this because I think if I remember it, it's, pretty, it's somewhat interesting, right? So, um, but uh, I was working actually in China, um, working uh, for a small export company. And I had spent um, a little over a year there and I, and I came back and I was with my fiance. And she, we, we were kind of at a crossroads where like, she didn't want to go back to China, but I absolutely loved it and wanted to go back there and continue my career in manufacturing. Um, and so I was just hustling basically. I was taking some job interviews to see what was available to stay in Florida. And then, you know, if, if I couldn't find anything that I really wanted, then I was going to move back to China. That was kind of my mentality at that time. Right. So I get, um, so I'm driving around and I'm actually importing cell phone cases from a manufacturer that I used to know in, in in China, I was directly importing them and then just selling them to local uh, retail shops. That was my business at the time. I had start, I had like kind of planned that before I left China, and and I was doing all right. We were making good money, and uh, so one day I get a phone call from my, I guess you call my best friend. He um, he calls me saying, "Hey man, uh, I'm at this company, and so he works in logistics. He was selling um, small, medium sized package shipping. Right, that that was his." business and logistics. And he was a rep for kind of a large UPS reseller. And he's sitting in an office and he says, Hey, this lady's trying to hire me right now, but I told her I have a job and I, and I'm not interested, but that I, I know somebody who's a great salesperson who would be interested. Right. And so he's sitting in Shannon Beck's office. Right. Um, and, uh, and he said, do you want to come in for an interview? And I hear Shannon, I guess I was on speakerphone. She's like, Come on, big, big, uh, big boy. Come on in the office. I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay, all right. So, uh, so then I think I came in that day, um, sat down with her. She explains the business, which in my mind, I'm thinking this is got to be BS. Like, no way that people make money reselling watches. Like, I didn't know anything about watches. I, 
funny enough, when I lived in China, there was a fake market that I used to go practice my Chinese at and like negotiate prices on certain watches. So I had like a fake Hublot Tourbillon and a fake Tag Heuer. Those are two, two watches. But before I before I ever started working in the industry, I literally, the only two companies I knew um, were Rolex and Tag Heuer. And I don't think I knew how to pronounce Tag Heuer. I just knew it because I think my dad had like a quartz model. Um, but like knew nothing about watches. I was a salesperson. This is what I was, you know, I had been doing for, I guess, quite a few years before this in different um, capacities. So I knew I could sell, um, but I didn't know anything about watches. And by the end of the interview, she shows me, uh, I guess, a pay stub of their top guy. Um, didn't tell me who he was at the time, but now I figured it out later. But And I saw how much money he was making and I had met him. And my, me being like a brash young idiot, right? My, I guess, early mid twenties. Um, I'm like, well, I'm definitely better than that guy. So if he's making that much money, I can make more. So, uh, I go ahead and accept the offer for the job and I start working there. Right. So at that time, watch you want was a very small business. I want, I want to say we did eight or $10 million in sales that year, which was like a lot for a pre-owned watch, um, uh, company. Like we, we were probably one of the top pre-owned watch companies selling like buying and selling retail, right? So buying from customers and selling them directly to end users. There were there were definitely some um, wholesale guys out there, but nobody really wanted to deal with retail. And I guess that was OJ Watley's genius was that, hey, he could, you know, there was a spot to fill there and he started doing it online. So we were, <laughs> we felt like we were the industry leader. Um, we, we definitely had a, uh, I guess, an edge on a lot of other sellers out there, but we were, you know, a smallish company. I think there was four salespeople um, at that time, I think there was probably 15 employees uh, altogether um, at that time. So that was 2013. And um, so before we fast forward, right, so I just gave you my, like, how I got into the industry. Why don't you circle back real quick and just give us uh, a quick detail on on what brought you into this business? Because like, there's no, there's no, you can't go to college to be in the, in the watch world. Like it's, people don't, everybody we meet here, it's either they, their family was in it or they just happened upon it, right? Right. So uh, if you had told me that I was going to end up in the watch industry the day I graduated college, I would have told you you were nuts. But um, I was going to go into finance in 2007 and moved to New York. And something about it, just not me, New York. Um, you know, it's a place I like to visit, but not a place I think I would like to, to live in. And um, I went to my... My best friend, his dad, is best friends with Danny Goffberg. So on July 4th, 2007, I ended up at Danny's house, and uh, he was drinking, as many people do on July 4th. And uh, he said to me, you know, asking me a million questions, what are you doing? Um, told him that I was probably going to go into to finance, maybe go to law school, um, but, you know, uh, I'm going to go to the finance route, but that my heart wasn't really set on it. And he says, you know, you should come work for me. And so uh, I thought that he was just wasted and, uh, you know, going to forget about it the next day. But uh, we, we connected the next day and I've been working for him ever since. So uh, wow. you never know. You know how your future may change, but because I went to uh, a July Fourth barbecue, uh, that's why I am where I'm at uh, here in 2022. So look at that yeah. happenstance, yeah. man. It's 
That's the best thing. And, uh, it, you know, I'm sure that uh, you can speak to this, too. I mean, learning watches is like learning Chinese, like learning another language. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's so much to learn. And I just remember reading everything I could. And uh, I was passionate about it. I loved it. I, I thought it was fascinating. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to work at Govberg where we carried so many brands. And so um, I got to see the watches and, um, you know, I just learned as much as I could. And, and uh, you know, still today I'm learning more, you know, I feel like I learn something new every day. I mean, it's just endless, um, you know, what you can learn in, in the watch game. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I, I uh, ended up uh, at, at Govberg and then uh, Watchbox. So nice. So, and, so I guess just like me, you didn't really have any watch experience or watch knowledge before you started. Zero. Was, and, uh, you know, I didn't even really, I didn't even wear a watch, you know, uh, yeah. so, you know, just uh, a total, total fresh start. Yeah. I was in the same boat. In fact, it's funny how you, that you said, so you and I have some similarities in, sen in, in the sense of our personalities, but some big glaring differences, right? So like I am, when I started at Watchbox or Watch You Want, I knew I could sell. And from the day, from like my first day, I got on the phone and bought a Panerai. That was like the first watch I ever bought. It was a Pan 243. Had a great conversation with the guy. Knew nothing about the watch. Barely knew how to pronounce it. But, you know, did what I did what I could to make him feel comfortable and let him know that, hey, our offer was fair and, and that he should sell it to us, right? So I hit the round running in terms of sales. I was very quickly like the the, the number one salesperson in terms of, uh, um, uh, <clears throat> in terms of production. At our office, and but I had a ton of arguments with OJ, and when he turned out to be right, but in the beginning, he was always telling us that we need to know everything there is to know about these watches. We need to have all this watch knowledge, and my mentality was, I just need to know people. I can get the information, the watch information from those around me who know a little bit better, right? Or I can just, you know, I can I can figure it out on the fly or whatnot, but. You know, I really need to know people and how to talk to people, and that's the most important thing. Well, we had literally like screaming matches in the office the first year or so because um, I was I was producing and I didn't really know anything about watches. And uh, but turns out, yeah, you absolutely have to know things, especially to be to to go far in this industry. I think you need to know uh, you need to have a passion for watches, which I developed very quickly. I think I bought after that first year, I bought a Panerai, which was my very first watch, a Pam three eighty, which I still own. Um, and I became obsessed with Panerai, which, you know, maybe I should have got obsessed with Jorn instead, but <laughs> I got, I got obsessed with Panerai. Now I'm known as, I guess, the Panerai guy. Um, and, uh, but it's funny how like, yeah, your mentality was immediately to try to soak up as much knowledge as possible. And my, you know, being brash and kind of an idiot, like, Hey, listen, I don't need to know anything about watches. Look, I'm succeeding without knowing much about watches and, and turns out, yeah, no, it should probably learn as much as I can about watches um, well, so much i think of, of selling watches is, is trust i mean obviously yeah. knowledge is power and i think people want uh you know guidance and and uh want to be told about what they're buying obviously and know you know uh deal with somebody who knows uh the insides and, and out of of uh of the watch that that they're interested in so that they can better understand it and uh make a decision on whether it's it's for them um mm -hmm. but uh you also want to you know in any any aspect of sales, I think you want to uh, just be comfortable knowing that whoever you're dealing with, whoever's selling you something, isn't taking advantage of you, right, or, or misleading you, or, or selling you, misrepresenting something. So, um, you know, there's there's a comfort aspect there, and if you're 
um, a, a people person where people are comfortable with you and understand that you're, you know, in high integrity and not going to misrepresent something or mislead them, then uh, they, you know, a lot of times I think you don't ever get to that point when you're buying something off someone where you're not comfortable with them. So I can see how out of the gate people would be comfortable dealing with you. I appreciate that. I think that's one thing. That's a trait that we definitely share, though, is that we're both people people. Like, I love people. I love talking to people. You know, uh, that's the most – I mean, as much as I love watches now and I'm obsessed, I have a, 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 a collection that's way too big for for me specifically. Like, I have probably 30 watches in my collection right now. It's ridiculous. Wow. Um, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, we'll but you know, my, my favorite thing – That's for sure. What's that? We're definitely both extroverts. Oh yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, I love the, my favorite thing about this job is talking to people, talking to people who we work with and talking to people who, you know, my customers, you know, we get to deal with. That's the one thing I always used to say. So one of the jobs that I was interviewing for when I took the job at Watchbox or what you want was, um, uh, a company called Cintas that sells, they're known as like the, 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 um, uniform company. Like they sell like, like, uh, uniforms and whatnot, but I was going to be, I was interviewing for a job to sell like toilet paper, <laughs> so like legitimately to like restaurants and different businesses and things. And I, and thank God I didn't take that job. Honestly, I, I don't know. I probably would have jumped off a bridge, but not, not to disparage those guys who were working there because they were making good money. But, you know, I always say to myself, or I say to other people, listen, I could be selling toilet paper. <laughs> so I'm so happy that we're, we're doing this. I mean, you know, we have a client list that, that is amazing, you know, besides the pro athletes and the famous people, you know, we're talking to CEOs, people who, who nobody else has access to. And that's one of the things that I treasure about this job that we get to, we get to, you know, hold court with some of the most important and powerful people on the planet. And they're happy to talk to us because um, we have what they, what they want. So mm -hmm. it's pretty awesome. Um, so, so I started in 2013, 2014, a guy who, in my opinion, is the reason why, why, but watch bot or watch you want was actually saleable. Um, this guy, Tim Masso <laughs> came aboard, right? So, um, there's a funny story, and I, th I think Tim has maybe has said it on camera before. And maybe if I do a uh, another podcast with him, I'll have him detail that story. But essentially, he, uh, Shannon Beck gets in touch with, with Tim Masso. They were looking for somebody to, to do online watch reviews. I don't know whose idea that was, but obviously it worked out. So they hired him in 2014, about a year after I started Tim starts. And for whatever reason, him and I hit it off. Um, and we started him and I, well, he was, he was doing his hands-on reviews and then he wanted to do like a talk show. So I got on the talk show. So if you go to our, our channel, Watchbox studios and scroll all the way back to 2014, which I don't recommend doing, you'll see some of the absolute worst watch talk shows possible. You'll see me looking very uncomfortable and you'll see Tim talking directly into the camera for about an hour with no break. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of, I think what changed, um, watch you want took him from just like any other seller to somebody who was, um, worth something or somebody who was, who was trustworthy. You know, Tim really made the difference there. I think, right. I, I think you guys would agree with that, right? Got it out. I mean, uh, we don't have to <laughs> tell people how amazing he is, but his ability to uh, retain knowledge uh, and then talk about a watch is, is unparalleled. I think he's in a league of his own, um, you know, in the world. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's amazing. I mean, he's, he's a, we don't have to go 
down the rabbit hole. Every, anybody who's listening to this specifically absolutely knows who Tim Masso is and sees how important he is. But that was the turning point in my in my opinion. That that's what allowed us to be a really a marketable company to actually sell, right? So because uh, OJ started the company in 2001 by himself, so now we're in 2014. Company's what 13 years old, and uh, now there's some real value there other than just our inventory or our reputation, which was which was pretty good. Um, so Tim comes aboard 2014. And then 2015 is when all of a sudden we start seeing at our, at our office and, and for what you want, which was in Hollywood, Florida, it was like a small little office. It was, it's funny because it was nicer than, than what you guys were working out. Sure. Not that much nicer, but it was, it had windows, right. which was cool. Right. Um, and by 2015, I think we had probably about 30 employees or so we had, you know, we were doing, I guess, uh, you know, f- 13, $15 million in a year in sales. And then we start seeing um, who were, who we were told were executives from other watch companies or other companies that were thinking about buying us. So we, we get, you know, uh, uh, hedge fund guys, we get uh, owners of other watch companies, crown and caliber came and met us. I forgot the guy's name who owns, who owned it before he sold it, but um, we had a different, few different guys. And then you guys showed up and I'm trying to remember who showed up first. I think it was David Kaplan. Might have been the first guy I saw, um, who's been who's a longtime employee, mm-hmm. Godbury employee, yeah, right. Um, but so then, yeah, I mean, so on our end, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We just knew we had to keep making sales because you know we were going to either be purchased or partner with a large company that was going to help supercharge our like our sales. That was that's how we were pitched. So on your end, what, you know, what was that? What was the process like? I know that you obviously are so close with Danny that like you know you were right in that process, I'm assuming. So what was that like for you guys? And what, what did you think of when you were, when you were thinking about buying out uh, what you want and like, what was the idea? Well, Danny told me early in the game uh, that pre-owned was the future. He has an innate ability to see around the corner uh, as far as the watch industry is concerned. And in business in general, by the way, no, for sure. I mean, he's always thinking three, four, five years down the road, always. And uh, he told me before we were selling pre-owned watches, he says, I'm telling you pre-owned's the future. The watches are not thrown out. They're meant to be restored uh, so that, you you know, they can last hundreds of years. They're heirloom watches. Uh, all these brands are ramping up production. And um, lo and behold, he, he was right. And, um, you know, especially now, <laughs> thank goodness we're in pre-owned, right? I mean, could you imagine you know, all these retailers <laughs> now are just left sitting by the, the the door waiting for delivery trucks to come by because they don't have anything to, to sell. Fortunately, you know, we can play the, the open market uh, and have, have a large inventory. But um, so we, we dabbled in pre-owned um, and, uh, you know, slowly but surely, I think you and I met at a, uh, at a, at a trade show. Uh, That's right. I remember that. Now, now, okay. Thank you for reminding me. That's right. I think that might've been like 2014. You were in a backpack and you were with, you were with Putter. Maybe you could have been with Brian Gubrick. I'm trying to remember that. I, I do remember meeting you. That's right. I met George Mayer at an IWJG in Miami, I assume. Right. right. So, yeah. you know, um, just slowly but surely got more involved in, in pre-owned. It, it started picking up more and more. The the guys who were like, oh, I'll never buy pre-owned. All of a sudden, you know, more and more started getting into pre-owned. And uh, then, then new and pre-owned started overlapping some, right? Because you would have guys flipping watches for whatever reason. So, you know, a pre-owned watch could actually be on more and, and that whole dynamic started. And, 
Um, it's grown exponentially ever since. And I think we'll, we'll continue to. Um, and uh, so uh, Danny was aggressive as he normally is and, and uh, bought uh, Watch You Want and partnered up with his longtime friend, Liam Wee, who uh, sold Sincere watches not once but twice. And the guy who helped him sell Sincere, Justin Reese, is now our CEO. And those three all partnered up and said, "Let's let's blow this thing up." I mean, it could be the the future of the watch industry, and I and I I think it is. I mean, you know, the the, the future's now, right? I mean, uh, I never thought that that um, Watchbox would would uh, become as as big as it is, but. Uh, Danny told me, you know, we're, we're, we're buying this building where Comcast used to work out of and, uh, you know, moving uh, to, to the suburbs. And uh, that's, you know, here we are. I'm, I'm talking to you at our, our headquarters that, uh, you know, you, you used to work out of and all you guys moved up. You guys were, uh, you yeah. know, uh, I think it was, it was uh, you know, you, David Salamanca, Jason Maine, right. you know, Shannon, uh, Tim, um, and uh, we... That's where that's where Watchbox began. That's right. So that so okay. So now we're if we're if you're following along, that's 2017. So from 2015, that's when the purchase was made. And all of a sudden, and that, that, I'll tell you this. So from our view, we were sitting in our offices, right? We're like, all right, these guys came in. They seem cool, but you know, there's a little. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. If we're going to keep our jobs, we're going to lose our jobs. Whatever, whatever. What are they going to do with our company? So the first thing you guys did was just dump a bunch of inventory on us. Like, <laughs> hey guys. Here you go. Try to sell these. And it was like the greatest thing ever because I remember, I mean, we would go in our safe and maybe we'd have 200 watches, which was normal for a lot of companies. I mean, <laughs> we don't have to talk about the exact numbers of inventory we have, but many thousands of, of watches got, uh, Watchbox has right now. So you guys would drop like 500 watches on us and like triple our inventory. And it was amazing because I remember when people would call in and say, oh, you know, I... You know, I like that watch, but I'm looking for the same watch with a blue bezel. Do you have that? And the answer was always no until Godbers came along. And then the answer was yes, yes, we do have that watch. Right. I still, I still remember the days when, you know, because we would post each other's inventory and, uh, you know, customers would try and play uh, us against one another. And, uh, you know, somebody would would call in and, and uh, you know, ask for ask for a price on, on a watch and then call you guys and try and get a better price. I remember those days. That was funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that, that was us trying to figure out, I guess, how to piece it all together because it was even though the purchase was completed in 2015, um, you know, the uh, the the companies were separate. They I mean, you know, that you guys, per, Godberg's purchased uh, watch you want, but watch you want continued to 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 um, work as watch you want. And Godbergs was still Godbergs and we could sell out of each other's inventories, but like on the, on the outside, I don't even know if we had, like there was any, there was any way for customers to know looking from the outside in that we were related. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a little bit awkward at first, but it was, again, we were on our end, we were super excited because now, you know, we went from like having to consign a ton of watches because we didn't have a lot of cash and not having a lot of inventory to, Hey, these guys are bankrolling us so we can buy anything. We don't have to buy time. Like legitimately, I, there was times when I was buying watches and I would say, hey, can we pay you? Uh, can we pay you? Like we give you four payments over 30 days. Can we right. do that? And I, would, I mean, people would say yes. I, I, to be honest with you, if, if I was on the other side of the line, I'd say mm-hmm. no. But somehow we were getting people that trusted us and liked us and said, yeah, sure. Okay, that's fine. You know, th- four payments over 30 days. And then Godberg shows up and it's, 
hey, we'll get you paid in three mm-hmm. days. So like it, from our perspective, it changed everything. Um, and, uh, and we were, and then from that 15 to 17 time, right. That was like the gap between you got when, when the purchase was made to when the changes really started being made, we had hired more people. So we went from having like, I think when Godberg's Godberg's bought watch you want, we had probably six, six salespeople. And I think we doubled that by 2017. I think we had 12 salespeople working out of that location. And then 2017 was when, you know, they, I guess they, they were formulating their plan or they, whenever, I don't know on the back end of that, maybe you have some insight on how it came about, but that's when they decided, Hey, so we're going to close down what you want. We're going to move everybody or we're going to make offers to certain key employees of what you want, move them up to Philadelphia, consolidate, and then rebrand to Watchbox. right? That's, that's, or my view, that's how it went down. I remember we actually had a meeting. It was like in June. They called everybody down saying, hey, so this is what's happening. Some people are going to get severed. Some people are going to get a job offer. Uh, but this is, you know, this is now the future. And it was it was kind of a crazy time. We didn't know, I didn't know who was going to get severance and who was going to get a job offer. But about half of us got a job offer and the other half got a severance. And uh, fast forward like a month and Later in 2017, in the summer, I'm now living in Philadelphia. Right, a fish yeah. out of water, right? I mean, <laughs> oh my god! Well, I lived in Fishtown too. How funny is that? Uh, I'm just thinking yeah. back, uh, you know, as you were talking about what the what the watch market was like then, when you know, watch you want became part of of Watchbox, and we merged, and brands were closing out product. Um, you know, paddocks were available, Nautiluses, anything you really wanted. Um, Rolexes were available. I mean, it's just crazy how different the the watch market was then, and it wasn't that long ago. You know, when when it all started, and now it's yeah. just um, so incredibly different. Yeah. Well, so I remember specifically, Hulks were selling at a discount. We were buying them for fifty five and selling them for seven. In fact, I was gonna. I I mean, I this. There's many stories I have of, of this type of scenario, but I was gonna buy myself a Hulk. I hadn't really spent much money on watches before this. It was going to be for my birthday. I kind of liked it. I wore it for a weekend. I asked Shannon, hey, can I just wear this? Can let me just give this a test drive? So I wore it for a weekend and realized, you know what? It's it's a little too green. I just don't love it at $5,500. And I just put it back in inventory. So that was a big whiff. But I mean, well, that's- You you, that uh, you sold yours. I kept mine. Um, you know, that uh, I remember um, that was the one I wanted. It was easy to get. It was easy to get at a discount, new even. And yeah. um, oh, yeah. so I said to our uh, Rolex rep, who's still our rep today, I said, you know, I, I want to get that watch. And, uh, you know, he uh, he told me, you know, you know, Georgie, um, you know, I'm going to make that happen for you. And guess what? We'll give you an extra little, you know, cut on the cut on the price here, you know. And, uh, you know, to imagine, <laughs> um, you know, asking for a um, for a sports model at an employee discount now, uh, they Probably, probably fire yeah, they you. tell you to, to pound sand, but that's an yeah. example of where where it was. I got a a Hulk, a brand new Hulk, very very quickly at a, at a nice deal. Um, so, uh, if you wanted to, you probably could have yeah, got them. I mean, I, the the watch wasn't like that popular because I think a lot of people felt the same way I did that it was too green. Eagles so, green, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Dolphins green though. Not not that you want to celebrate the Dolphins at any time, but um, yeah. I mean, I, I remember. Like, well, talking about Jorn, so in 2015, I was selling CBs at, at discounts. Yeah. 
Yep. I, I, um, I remember actually somebody beating me up when uh, we first picked up Jorn and it was not a hot brand. I mean, um, you know, everything was selling at a big discount. And um, a guy was telling me how CBs were available at every authorized retailer. And, you know, he was just calling around and, and four or five um, four or five different ADs had the watch and, and were discounting it. And, and, you know, he wanted me to give him a really good price on it. And, um, you know, now here we are. It's a $100,000 watch. Um, you know, so. It's ridiculous. Know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've sold many of them at below MSRP pre-owned. And, and, I, and I remember I sold, I think I sold one customer two new ones because we were just like, yeah, sure. If he wants another, like he traded it back to us and said he wanted another one later on. So like, all right, sure. Like he took a hit on the one trading mm-hmm. it back to us. Think about things like this. Like this, imagine getting two CBs within one year from the same dealer, and you took a hit on the first one. Like it's right. madness. Yeah, I think um, what's happened over the course of the the history of Watchbox, and I know that some people who are diehard watch enthusiasts, you know, are, are upset about this. What I'm about to say, but it's just the fact of the matter is that watches have become an asset class, and I I would not have even said that maybe even a year ago. I mean, like it's, that's like when it really all, all started. And, um, you know, I think that there, there are a lot of people out there who, who view watches as, as part of their portfolio. I mean, look at how expensive they've become. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot of money. So, um, you know, they definitely are, are an asset class now. And, uh, it's a shame for, for some people who, truly love the watches and aren't in it for the economics whatsoever. Um, but there are a lot of people who, who are, and that's, what's created this, this new market dynamic. So, yeah. Well, so if we, we can take a step back. I mean, I, I cause I remember seeing it cause in t- 2013, the watch market was not on fire. It was hard to sell watches. Rolex has sold pre-owned at discounts. And, you know, I, I don't know if there was, any watch. I mean, 5711s were absolutely selling so, discounts. JT, not to so. cut you off, when I went and visited um, Watch You Want, I still remember that's mm-hmm. when Joma Shop had Submariners available at 15 off. And that I remember that clear as day. That that uh, just hit me. And um, yeah. so to give you an idea of, of how much uh, the watch industry and, and the watch market have changed since, um, um, you know, watch, watch Box started. Well, so that was 2015. So 2013, we were just coming out of the the 08 crash. Things were starting to get a little bit better. 2015, we're totally out of it. You guys bought our company. Things were starting to ramp up. 2017 was the, well, so two things, right? Social media, I feel like, and I've said this a million times, so if people might might be annoyed by hearing this again, but social media, like Instagram really started taking hold, like, um, but even still, back then, 2013, 2014, Watch a Niche had like maybe 100,000 mm-hmm. followers, right? So like it was small. And even – so I like to I like to base it on also the Reddit Watch Forum had I want to say 20,000 subscribers and now it has over a million. So uh, social media really started to take, play, take hold and it was uh, – Instagram became a place where watch people could take wrist shots and post them and tag and talk about watches, right? So that was – Game changer. Yeah. Um, game changer, big time, right? So that was the main, that was the first thing that really started drawing in people who never, I mean, because before that, if you wanted to know about a watch, how would you find out? You'd have to like know somebody or go to a boutique and have to, and just trust that the person behind the counter was giving you real information, right? Like we're, before 
YouTube, before Tim on YouTube or Hodinky or any of these places, before Instagram, before, you know, you maybe you could get to a watch forum, but of watch forums were full of like super watch nerds. So like if you were just entering it, it was really hard to understand what these guys were talking mm-hmm. about, right? So um, social media starts taking off prior to 2015. Then 2016, 2017, there are some um, uh, auction results that are mm-hmm. bananas, right? So like the Paul Newman Daytona in 2017 mm-hmm. goes for what? Was it 17 yeah, million? Close to, yeah, I think close to 20 million all in, yep. Right. Yeah. 20 million with, with the, with the buyer's premium. And that was mainstream news. Mm-hmm. That was, that went outside the watch forums and watch, um, uh, news outlets. And that was mainstream news. So that brought a lot of people in to start looking at, um, watches as, as, you know, number one as an investment, but also like looking into the, to the brands. So and then you have Tim who by 2017 has been making videos for three years, which like cannot be underestimated. So now he has, hundreds of watch reviews online. So if you want to learn about a watch, you literally just Google it, pops up on Instagram. Tim has, you know, a five minute review that tells you everything you'd want to know about the watch plus way more. You might right? learn a couple new uh, vocabulary words too. Exactly. Well, yeah, his, instead of saying er or um, he uses multisyllabic <laughs> words. Like that's, that's, this is how Tim speaks, but um, <clears throat> he, you know, so the watch market's heating up big time. So then just coincides whether it was fate or whether it was planned this way, 2017 Watchbox uh, launches. We move up to Philadelphia, which was quite an adventure for those from Florida. Um, you know, getting used to living in the Northeast and, and living in Philly specifically. But um, the it, it's basically an explosion at that point, right? So, like, you know, we don't have to talk about specific numbers, but I remember seeing your numbers every year were almost doubling in terms of sales, um, and and mine were almost that as well. So we're seeing an uptick in new buyers in the market, right? And I've talked about that before about how, you know, what I really believe is driving a lot of this is obviously there's a little bit of like the Bitcoin thing where people are looking to um, find like another asset class and flip and make money. But also people who had money before who never were never into watches and maybe were afraid to make a purchase because they couldn't get educated on it and feel comfortable about it. Now it's, it's, it's almost impossible not to become educated on these things, right? Like it's so easy. You can you can spend a week listening. If you just dedicated a week of your life uh, on YouTube, watching like Tim's videos, some of our other like collectors' videos, and then there's other you know other guys online, Hondinky and and um, Watchfinder. You could become essentially a watch expert within like a week if you can just sit there and consume all that information. Where it would take you ten years to learn all that stuff in the past. Um, so. That, that's kind of how I view what's happened with the watch market. I used to believe, same as you, like don't invest in watches. It's not, they're not investable. These are, you know, luxury ass, luxury items, like frivolous really. And now because of the amount of new buyers that have flooded this market and are still showing up, um, I mean, they truly are an asset class, which is, it's weird to say, it makes me still a little mm-hmm. queasy. Um, but, you know, when I think of my net worth, I do think of my mm-hmm. watch collection because they're so liquid. And that, I think that's the main thing, right? They Watches used to not be liquid. You could buy a lease Nardin, you could buy it pre-owned, and when you sell it, you'd still take a 30% mm-hmm. hit because they were not liquid. It would take a year to sell it for even even like the, the biggest online seller. Right. And it's I just true, heard somebody right? today, a, a big watch dealer, tell me he's never that dealers in the market have never had more cash relative to, to inventory ever. And um, it's weird to say that a global pandemic – uh, made the watch market as, as strong as it is. And, you know, I remember 
for two weeks we were super skittish and it's like are people still going to want to buy watches and then you know when you break it down people can't travel and spend money on experiences like they used to it hit me when early in the pandemic uh somebody uh told me you know um every year we would go to the masters and uh you know pay for entertainment and rent out a place and um you know the guy would spend a large amount of money on on uh, the whole trip and so it was canceled obviously and uh he bought a platinum Daytona off me, pre-owned platinum Daytona, which, by the way, at the time I think was like you know fifty-five thousand um, dollars. <laughs> you know, those are uh, a lot more now. And um, but it yeah. hit me. It's like okay, so I just sold that watch because of the coronavirus. Like if the coronavirus hadn't yeah. you know ever um, you know taken place or existed, then I wouldn't have sold that watch. And I was like, okay, well that's interesting. And uh, it's just gotten stronger and stronger. You know, ever since, like you said, I mean, there's just more access to information than ever before. People had more discretionary mm-hmm. uh, income, you know, uh, once the, the market came back and and people got PPC and, and um, uh, you know, it's. Uh, once we realized where we are, we all weren't right, going to yeah. die. You right. know? I, mean, that's, I, I mean, so 2020 was a crazy year, right? So like I had moved back to Florida from Philly. So I lived in Philly. Working out of that, the he- the headquarters were your offices uh, from 2017 to 2019. 2019, I moved back to Florida, and uh, I was a first remote worker, which is kind of funny because I had to like it was like a fight to get to allow me to do that because I you know personally I just Philly wasn't for me, it wasn't for my wife, so you know we we worked it out right. So I was able to work from home, and then um, 2020 comes around. You know, January. I remember we heard about the about coronavirus and it was i was making jokes about it like oh you don't want to get the, the corona careful and then march comes around i was actually in the office because i i basically every month i would fly up show face stay there for a couple of days so i was there march 12th or 13th the day that the nba shut down I was in the office i was supposed to be there for another three or four days and then the nba shuts down i think we i think i was supposed to go to a basketball game with like with mark Gobert <laughs> or somebody and that it was canceled um, because of Corona and they shut down the NBA and I freaked out. I'm like, Oh crap. I, I don't want to get stuck in Philly. I got to get home. So I flew home and I'm telling my wife, Hey, this is serious. Like pr- watches are probably not going to be very important. We better figure out how we're going to pay right. our bills. Like right. this is going to be a serious thing. So March, the end of March comes around. I was, we were selling off inventory. Yeah. Like, we, we had wanted to sell them meetings. Yeah. yeah. We were selling off inventory. Hey guys, listen, if even if we're selling at, at cost, let's get let's get flush to see where this goes. So we were selling off a lot of inventory. I mean, be, people were getting tremendous yep. deals. I would say anybody who was was ballsy enough to buy a watch back then, because we still were. I mean, if you look back at those numbers, they were still strong in terms of uh, overall revenue, but no profit and a lot, took a lot of losses that those like two or three months, March, April, May, and then June comes around, and it seems like things are like we. I think. By that summer, we realized we weren't all going to die and that there was, you know, there was a plan somewhat to get out of this, like the, that, that the government was going to start bailing people out. So we we had somewhat of a safety net. And then I remember by like August, I was started selling like high ticket items. So for the same reason you're saying, like guys, they, you know, I have we have customers who are obviously very wealthy and they spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on, on, um, on uh you know entertainment and travel and now they have all this money they can't use it 
they are going to spend that on something else. And watches was like the perfect thing, right? Like you could go online, find something you love, and it can be shipped to you. It's totally like the COVID thing. You never have to, you never have to meet with anybody. You can, you just get something that's, that is something that you can enjoy in your own home by yourself. Something else that helped us tremendously is we had a lot of inventory. We were built to sell remotely. And I think, you know, most watch dealers were were not, obviously, you know, they were behind the counter, brick and mortar in person. You know, we have our call center here, our headquarters, and um, we were somehow deemed essential. I remember three different times I thought we were going to get shut down, like told. And, you know, I remember we we reached out to, to, you know, when the governor would would speak or or we would talk to our lawyers and somehow we were deemed essential, I guess, because we were international um, you know, e-commerce, whatever it was. E-commerce. And, uh, we were a skeleton crew here. It was like five of us, you know, we had a COVID crew, uh, chat and, uh, you know, we were able to keep going and, um, you know, I think that we were ahead of the curve there, um, being able to, to, oh, to sell remotely. And that's what further helped the, the watch box, uh, journey. Yeah. Well, I'd say, I think if I remember correctly, like, August and September, we started buying watches again because like before that, we were not allowed to buy. Like people were offering us watches like, sorry, we're not buying. We're selling. You know, you can buy something. And then so towards that that fall, we started buying watches again. And then at the end of the year is when I I remember we just started going. I think I sold over a million dollars in watches that month. It was that was like only the second or third time I'd ever done that. Um, And so that was December of 2020 because all these guys had all this extra cash. Because they were still able to work remotely, make as much money, if not more, and they had all this extra income that they usually earmarked for travel and for uh, um, you know eating out and, and entertainment. Right. So yeah, that was that was wild. And then last year was another wild year for us. Like it just kept going, right? So we're still kind of in this. It's well, depending on where you're at in Philadelphia, you guys are, are in the middle of a pandemic. In Florida, we are uh, enjoying our lives here so it's it's a little bit different um but uh but yeah i mean so this last year was a huge growth year right um and this is this kind of brings us to the present right so like we're well it, i guess we can talk about how we dropped a lot of the uh, of the primary brands right that was one thing that we kind of glossed over but you know we always had a focus on on um on pre-owned because watchbox specifically is a pre-owned entity but Godberg's, which I guess is the parent company, you know, was primary. And then, you know, we, we dropped a lot of the the brands thinking that, Hey, listen, let's just focus all on, all on pre-owned. And then, and also um, a lot of these independents, cause that's kind of where we saw yeah. the future. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something else that changed dramatically over the last three to five years. Um, you know, we are still very much involved at, at Godberg with um, Paddock and Rolex, who are the two kings of the industry. Our brand new store, you know, just a couple doors down on 15th and Walnut still is primarily Paddock and, and Rolex. Um, but we dropped a bunch of the other brands or, or severed ties there. And, you know, pre-owned is, is our biggest brand. And uh, we also got more involved in the independents. And I think with the independents, the reason why they struggled before the last couple of years was for two reasons. You couldn't really learn about them. Like people weren't exposed to them, couldn't see them. There wasn't a lot of information uh, about them. Um, and mm-hmm. we touched on how that's changed due to social media, the internet, people being da- being home. Um, and then also um, value retention. Uh, so where 
you know, you used to buy an FP Journ and you wanted to sell it and there was very few people who would even buy it. And if they did give you an offer, it was at 30 cents. So, you know, if you weren't so in love with the watch where you felt like you were going to have it for the rest of your, your life. And even so, you know, it's hard to buy something where it's a lot of money, you know, say you're spending, you know, 50,000 and, and you know, that if you had to sell it, you could get 15 all of a sudden, you know, that it started to, to strengthen. And all of a sudden, and when people were uh, understood that you could take a shot on a watch and, and experiment with it, you know, because you knew that you're, you, were, you were downside protected, at least to a certain extent. And then the market just continued to strengthen even further to now, you have people, you know, speculating or whatever, everything's over, oversold and trading at a premium. But that all happened so quickly. And uh, that's something that, um, you know, we used to be Richemont and, and Swatch Group, and now we're the, the independent brands have taken over for, for those two conglomerates. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I remember, well, we were Audemars dealers, and they were the first ones to, I think that might have, like, that might have set a fire under our asses to, like, make sure that we're covering ourselves, because we were AP dealers, and uh, through Godbergs, and, and you know, we're, we're enjoying that. Right, because the brand was strengthening too, and then all of a sudden, hey guys, so there's no more authorized dealers for AP, mm-hmm. you know, which was I guess a surprise. I remember in the day that happened, like, and now what? and now all the Can't. brands are starting to go direct, except for Paddock and Rolex. God bless them, and um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it, even the brands that have retailers. If they come out with a hot watch, they'll make it e, e- boutique exclusive, or you know, they're, they're I think that the brands are going to continue to try and go increasingly direct to the consumer. And, um, it's, it's another dynamic that I think hurts the the consumer where, you know, you used to be able to, uh, go and, and, uh, to a multi-brand store and, and see a lot of watches and try them on. The other thing is too, now with the way the market is so many watches are going for, for over retail and they're hard to get. And the brands are saying, you know, like, like AP, if you want a 15202, they're going to tell you you need to buy a code 1159 or something else to get that 15202. You know, I know they're no longer making it, but I'm just using an example here. So, but they they don't have a very diverse lineup. So it's like, what if I don't like the code 1159 and I, you know, don't have the cash to buy a grand comp, you know, super sonnery or whatever. Like they're, you know, I don't want to, uh, that that's when we come in where people are offering us brand new watches because they're forced to buy it. If you were dealing with a, a, a retailer who carried a bunch of different brands and had more offerings, you could buy a piece of jewelry or buy, um, you know, a Rolex or a Breitling or something else you know, to, to build a relationship to then get the super hot watch that uh, retailers have a finite amount of, which is viewed as, as sort of a gift because it's liquid for so much more than what they're selling it for. Um, and something that, you know, is just another um, theme of, of the, the industry now and something else that people are going to say, oh, you know, first it was asset class. And now is the, the fact of the matter is there's there's conditional selling is rampant in in the watch industry. I mean, okay. it's just, you know, let's no longer look, sugarcoat that. I mean, you know, it used to be so taboo. And now people are point blank saying, you know, if you want to if you want to route to getting a, a, a stainless steel Daytona, you're, you're going to have to buy other things like there's no you're, no one's no one's getting a stainless steel Daytona as a first time buyer at a, at a retailer. Now, it's just the fact of the matter. So, and that's a whole nother wrinkle right. in, in the, the, the watch market now. Um, and I think that we at Watchbox see both sides of that. And by that, 
We get offered brand new watches that people are forced to buy, whether it's from Lang when they want to buy the Zeitwerk uh, Luminous and they're told they need to buy a Turbion. I remember the phone was ringing off the hook on what we would pay for that because they were point blank telling you know, a mm-hmm. brand, point blank saying you need to buy this Turbion to get the, the Zeitwerk. Um, My guy was told to repeat it, right. by the so, way. Um, we see that where people are forced to buy something they don't want. And then we also see the other side sometimes where let's say that you want to buy uh, a watch that isn't so in demand and, you know, you buy it and you have the ability to get the hot watch or the premium watch because you're making that purchase and it lowers your cost basis when you can flip the watch. Like I, mm-hmm. I've had that happen where, you know, somebody gets in at a, at a Rolex dealer and, and they flip the watches to us and they're making a profit and they don't really want it, but they're in because they bought something else. So, you know, that's happening with us too. So like we see, see both sides of, of this flipping aspect. So obviously, you know, most of our business is genuine pre-owned, but never have watches been flipped more than, than they are now because of the, of the way the market is. So that's something else that's happened in the evolution of, of Watchbox. That's, and well, here's a shameless plug. If you haven't listened to it, uh, go back to the last episode. That was my last episode of 2020, which is the uh, the myth of the of the waiting list. So I, I break it down. It's a, it's a hard truth. Some people don't like to hear it, but um, basically, kind of break break down what what when they tell you they're going to put your name on a waiting list at a Rolex authorized dealer. What that actually right. means. Right. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah, not it's exactly because there's a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't know, don't understand that just genuinely want to get their, their son, a, a submariner, you know, they go in and, and, you know, um, they don't know any better. It's like, can I get a sub? And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, as if they asked for the most, made the most ludicrous request ever, you know, you have to realize that some people don't, don't understand the, the dynamic and you have to explain to them. And they're like, what do you mean? Like it's advertised. You know, I, I see advertisements, billboards all the time for, you know, olive green dial day dates and like, you know, <laughs> you have a billboard that, you know, advertising the watch. What do you mean? I can't get it. You know, what do you mean that you have no timeline for me to get it? Um, it's crazy. It's something that I, that I didn't think that we would ever be, be faced with, but now here we are. It's just, a, it's a gross imbalance um, with supply and demand. So. Yeah. Which, I mean, the way I see it now, you know, with the amount of new buyers that have entered the market already and the amount of new buyers that are entering every single day, because there are, you know, the, the, the watch collector has skewed much younger now. It's a much larger population and, you know, people are much more educated. And I mean, I've told this story a hundred times, but like my best friend who makes a very good living, he owns a logistics company, you know, makes himself probably half a million bucks a year, lives in a, you know, a million dollar home or more has, you know, a $200,000 boat. But when I showed him five years ago, when I was wearing a Panera, he asked me how much, how much the watch was. And I told him five grand. He goes, who the hell would pay $5,000 for a watch? Right. Right. And now he owns $30,000 worth of Rolex. So, you know, it's, you know, it's not just um, flippers always either. It's, it's guys who had the money before used to spend it on different things. And now this is just one more thing that they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. spending their money on. Right. So, and I don't see that really going away. So unless Rolex, Paddock, and all these brands increase their, I mean, so I, I put it this way. Um, I'd say that 10 years ago, there was probably a, a minimum a 25% overproduction in the Swiss watch industry, right? And you can see that because you could get, you know, roughly 25% off any 
any uh, say steel sport model besides even, uh, Daytona. Even the premier brands, some of them, some of them, not all of them. There are some that never have closed out product, but even some of the premier brands were selling at cents on the dollar because they had an overage of supply and wanted to move out before yep. selling their new stuff. So, right. And then, so now we fast forward to 2022, and there's a minimum 75% under uh, under production from these large, large brands. And that's why you see 2 and 3x, 4x pricing uh, against uh, MSRP for some of the more popular models. I mean, and it's, that's the bad part is that if you want to buy uh, a Daytona, you used to have to have, you know, 15 grand. Now you have to have 40,000 bucks. But on the good side is that if you wanted to buy a Ulysses Nardenne, you would lose half your money when you went and sold it, even bought it pre-owned. And now that's not the case anymore. Maybe you lose 15 or 20%, which is much more palatable. And, you know, it's everything's become much more liquid. So there's there's always a good and a bad of everything, I feel like. And that's kind of what we were seeing. And I guess to to wrap it all up with Watchbox, you know, at this point, it's funny. You know, I, I used to, when I was at Watch You Want, I used to say, oh, we are the largest in the in the most reputable company in the industry. You know, and I, I believe that to some extent, but it probably wasn't the truth. Um, you know, but, I, you know, I was trying to drink the Kool-Aid and, and, and sell the dream and whatnot. And now I, I can confidently say we're absolutely the largest, and most, most uh, legitimate company in this space by far. Right. I mean, it's it's quite a a wild ride. And, and, you know, seeing kind of, you know, my first time meeting you, George, which is now six years ago and seeing you hold court and and being, you know, the the absolute number one guy and now growing to be, you know, (laughs) the juggernaut of Jorn and the, uh, um, you know, the 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 godfather of Grubel. It's it's pretty amazing, George. And I'm I'm very, very. uh, I'm I'm super. Uh, I don't even know what I say. I'm thankful to be. Thank you. No, um, I love being able to work with you. I wish you were here in Philly more, but uh, hopefully we'll get get back to that where we have you uh, in the office more often. I know you're not, uh, you know, the biggest fan of Philly, um, you know, compared to to Miami to say the least. But I do think that um, you know the people here uh, is what makes Watchbox tick. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of very knowledgeable people with Tim Masso leading the way there. Um, But we have people that I I think, um, whoever it may be, whether it's the CEO of a company, uh, whether it's an athlete or just, uh, uh, you know, a hardworking individual um, who uh, wants to, to buy one nice watch as opposed to, you know, being a true collector. I think that we try and make the, the buying experience um, enjoyable and comfortable too, um, where it's meant to be fun. It's meant a lot of these purchases are commemorative, uh, and it's not still to this day, not something, you know, what that people need at all. So, uh, I never want to lose, lose sight of that and, and, um, you know, keep it fun for, for whoever we deal with. And, um, uh, I, I feel fortunate to, to work alongside uh, the people that I do like yourself. And, uh, you know, hopefully our passion continues to resonate with uh, all the people who instill their, their trust in us when they spend a lot of money on, on something that they don't need. So, Yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I, it's funny. I remember being the young guy in the office and, you know, getting told, hey, you don't remember how it was before. And now, uh, you know, you and I are, are absolutely not the youngest guy. We both have children ourselves. And we're surrounded. If you walk into that office, the 
the age of the sales team is like have skewed way I'm on. one of so the like oldest uh, guys here. Were, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm 34. I'm 36. How old are you? Soon to be 37. Okay. Well, yeah, they're congratulations. Oh, I'm, what am I talking? I'm 35. I yeah. just turned 35 <laughs> two weeks ago. What am I saying? So, but you know, it's crazy to think that, you know, and, and look at these guys and say, Hey man, you don't remember what it was like when we had to beg people to buy our watches. And now, you know, but, um, all right, man, well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me. I think this is, this was a great wrap up and hopefully people, uh, really get to see, you know, what Watchbox is, is about. Um, so well, guys, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate you listening. And uh, remember to subscribe to this podcast. You can catch it on iTunes. You can catch it on on uh, Spotify or anywhere anywhere else you find your, your podcast. Check us out on uh, Watchbox Studios. Uh, George has his own. Was That's it right. Time? Yep. We're is that your show? Keep it going. Yep. Nice. So George has his own YouTube show um, on, on our YouTube channel. Um, check out Watchbox Studios. And uh, if you're still listening to this an hour and three minutes in, you're a champion. We love you. And uh, we'll Take see care. you next time. See you, JD. Thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye.